Good evening and welcome to Steadfast. I'm so glad to be here with you once again tonight as we continue our series, Bad Attitudes, thinking about those who who know what God's law is. They're part of God's people and historian here, and yet they really aren't holding on to what it means to be part of God's people. That's what we see especially clearly tonight in the story of the sin of Achan, a, a fascinating story, a bit of a mystifying story we find in Joshua chapter 7. Before we dig into it, though, let's think about what the concern is that's going to come up. And we're going to be seeing a concern with the holiness of God's people. And in particular, how one man's sin will affect the entire nation of Israel. And sometimes that kind of boggles our minds because we're so focused on being individuals that it's hard to think, well, how could one man's sin affect a nation? Well, We may not be able to think about that in terms of sin, but we certainly know how other things, even a small amount of something, can affect a whole bunch of people. If you've been dealing with seasonal allergies the last few weeks, you know exactly what it's like to be part of something where there's maybe only one or two things affecting a huge group of people. If you have seasonal allergies in the spring and you're affected by oak pollen, there may only be one oak tree outside but you sure know that that oak tree's outside. And if you've been struggling the last little bit here, I'm betting it's because of this little chart here that you can see. I pulled up pollen.com today just to see where we're standing. And and you can see we've been spending a lot of time in red the last month. That means, you know, different sorts of trees and plants are putting out pollen as they do in the spring. But you don't need a whole bunch of them. You might live in an area with only one or two of a plant that happens to affect you. And if you do, you're going to feel it because it's going to spread that pollen all over. Well, scripture calls us to think of sin in a similar way, that sin is like a pollen for the allergies of being God's holy people. It might be one or two people at a given moment spreading that pollen, but it ends up coming down on all of us. And it's also, incidentally, contagious, unlike pollen, because we see sin and we start to sin as well. And so we may think, well, it's just a little bit of sin, just a little bit of of disobedience, and yet we see how it impacts a much larger picture. So let's come before God and, and pray that he would help us to see the sin in our own lives, and then we'll dig into this story of Achan. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your love. Lord, would you help us to to see what you would have us to see, to understand the areas where we are spreading the pollen of sin in our lives and the lives of others? Would you help us to instead spread joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness, all these things that we read about in Scripture that are good and pleasing to you? Would you help us to love you and to love our neighbor? Would you help us to turn to you, recognizing that we can't do it on our own? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go ahead and take a look at Joshua chapter 7, if you'd like to turn there with me. We look at the first few verses. We're told, But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. 
And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men went up from there from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about thirty-six of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted because and became as water. From there, we, we see an interesting process as Joshua wrestles with what happens, because as we're going to find out, he doesn't know yet that Achan had taken things that he wasn't supposed to take in the previous battle. You see, God had sent his people into the land of Canaan, a, a land that was filled with wickedness, a land that God didn't allow his people to go into until it was clear that the people there were totally wicked. They had no desire to follow the ways of the Lord. And then he sends them in and he says, you're not going to take the things of the land for even the things are contaminated. I don't want you to have anything to do with the stuff of the land or the people. And so they go in, but Achan, we find out, takes some things. But Joshua doesn't know yet. And so he wrestles before the Lord and he says, God, why have you allowed us to fail? Why have you allowed us to have this, this humiliating defeat? people around who were trembling at the name of the people of the Lord are no longer going to tremble and said they're going to make think they're going to think we're a laughing stock we can't even take on this little bitty city that we didn't normally think that we'd need to send our whole army to go take why'd you do this Lord why did you leave us in this place Joshua doesn't quite know how to make sense of it but we might not be able to make sense of it either we think well it's just a little glitch a little problem Reminds me of last night at our Sunday service at, at Little Hills. And if you're watching online, you know that the sound was going up and down a little bit. And and digging into it afterwards, it appears there was a little glitch. I had tried to automate some things to make everything run more smoothly and make sure all the microphones were on and off at the right time so we wouldn't get feedback and it wouldn't sound noisy. Everything would sound better. But apparently I overlooked a little bitty detail in how that works. Just an itty bitty one. One that that you wouldn't think would be a big deal. And yet it caused the whole thing to go berserk. And even when we had several people trying to manually override it, they couldn't because my automation, that little glitch, was causing a huge problem. That's how it is with sin. And that's what we see here. It seems like a little glitch, but it's going to spread throughout the people. It's going to cause a great deal of problem if it's not dealt with. And so the Lord tells Joshua that, that he should cast lots and they'll go through a process of determination in which they will fit, find out from the Lord who it is that has taken the things that he shouldn't have, who has sinned, and then they are to destroy that person because he has destroyed part of the holiness of God. This is a war. This is a serious moment. It's going to demonstrate who God's people are. And so there's a particularly strict punishment. Although maybe not that unlike, for example, if you were fighting in a war today and you're in an army and you dramatically disobey orders. Punishment can seem severe, but that's because the stakes are high. Well, the Lord does reveal that it's Achan, and we see Achan's confession when we turn to verse 20 of chapter 7. Achan, we're told, answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. 
when I saw the spoil, a beautiful cloak from Shinar and, and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Then I coveted them and, and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Achan here is admitting what he did. Not willingly. Note, we have to go through this whole process of determination before he fesses up. But but he describes a fairly straightforward process and one that we might think, well, what's the big deal? And I think that's probably what Achan thought too. He saw this, this fine tapestry, this woven garment, and he sees it and he thinks this, this textile is so beautiful. It's from the city ultimately known as Babylon. And it's something so much better than what he has. And he says, it wouldn't hurt if I took a little of this. And, and this little bit of silver and this little bit of gold, it wouldn't hurt. He sees the desirability of what he wants. And, and suddenly it seems like, well, that's just a small little thing. It won't cause any problem. This is the pattern that goes on and on throughout Scripture. For example, in Genesis chapter 3, this sounds sort of familiar, doesn't it? So, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a, a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. very first sin. Notice what happens. Eve sees the desirability of that fruit. She thinks eating a piece of fruit surely couldn't do any harm. Looks nice. Looks like it'd be tasty. And so she takes it. And so does Adam. And that's exactly what Achan does. And in fact, commentators note that the language being used here is identical. They both see the desirability of something. And then they take it. They feed the desire. They, they see, oh, this looks good. This is something I want. And that leads not just to thinking, oh, this is a nice thing, but outright coveting. And if we think about the Ten Commandments, what does God prohibit? He prohibits coveting things that shouldn't be ours. See that in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, that we shouldn't covet. And we have this whole list of things that are our neighbors. But in other words, we shouldn't covet things that that can't be ours, that shouldn't be ours. And, and here, it's not that he's coveting his neighbor's stuff. He's coveting something that God has explicitly said can't be any Israelites. But because he's fed that desire and, and he, he sees it looking so good and it seems so small, he, he seems to excuse it. He thinks, oh, look at this beautiful detail. Look at this little bit of gold. He knows it's still wrong because we're told he buries it under his tent. And presumably his family knows it's wrong because they're noticing that their father or their husband, you know, he's digging this hole under the tent. That's usually kind of suspicious. And maybe they see him putting this stuff in. But he, he knows that they know that none of them do anything about it. So a little sin causes a big problem. Now, here's a detail that, that may be a little bit debatable, but it's possible as well. I think there's a good reason to think that this theory applies here. There may be more than one sin that we're learning about in this story, and the second sin may actually come from Joshua himself. Because notice here this story, we're, we're told throughout the book of Joshua up to this point, the, the leader of the people of Israel, Joshua, he's taken over from Moses, consults with the Lord before they do anything. But here, when it comes to this next conquest, he doesn't consult with the Lord. He simply sends out spies. 
He thinks, I've gotten the routine down. I know how things are supposed to go. And, and we've been doing really well. It seems like maybe he's overly confident. And then those spies come back and say, well, we don't need the whole army. We'll just send out a few people. And he says, oh, sure, go for it. We don't need, need the full force. And isn't it interesting that, that Joshua doesn't consult the Lord before they go to battle, but then he comes to the Lord and says, why'd you let us fail, God? What we often do when we become overly confident, we feed that sin of pride. We, we don't notice that we're ignoring the Lord in, in his word. We, we just notice that he isn't helping us in the way that we think he should. God corrects Joshua's understanding and he helps Joshua to see that this isn't a problem of, of the Lord not being with them. But first, Joshua brings this interesting question. And in that, even if Joshua is, in fact, part of the sin problem in this story, Joshua does understand the problem of what the consequences are. Take a look at verse 8. He says, O Lord, what can I say? When Israel has turned their backs before their enemies, for the Canaanites and all their inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? Joshua says, everyone's going to think we're a laughing stock, God. How can you let this happen? Joshua understands the consequences of what's happening are going to hurt God's reputation. And there's something that we should challenge ourselves to think about too when, when we face sin. Do I think of my actions in terms of how they represent God. Because even if no one knows about my initial sin, if it's going to corrode and it's going to cause problems and ultimately it's going to cause failure amongst God's people, is that part of my process as I'm thinking, well, this won't really hurt anyone. I have a friend who, who likes to drive aggressively. And I love the story he loves to tell. He's from the East Coast and, and he drives really aggressively. I remember one time he was talking to me and talking about how he just was feeling kind of a little bit hassled as he was driving someplace, and he intentionally ran into road cones because it just let out stress relief. He's an aggressive driver. And and he's also a very faithful believer in, in so many ways, but, but driving is maybe not his point where he really shows the love of Christ. And so one thing that's always stuck with me is he said he wouldn't put one of those Christian fish bumper stickers or, or little emblems on his car because he didn't want people to see his driving and associate it with Jesus. Now, when we're driving down the highway and no one knows who we are, we might say, well, if I don't put the sticker on, no one's going to know if I'm not quite behaving the way that God wants me to. But in our lives in general, as we're around people, people will know. They will see what we're doing and, and whether we're being faithful. And so we can't just take that Christian fish off and say, well, no one will know. Aiken thought, no one will know. It will be okay. But but in doing what he was doing, he was allowing sin to chip away at his and the people of Israel's relationship with God. Take a look at verse 11. It says, Israel has sinned. This is what God's saying to Joshua. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken away some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. God says, why am I not blessing this military conquest that you intended, Joshua? It's because 
the people are transgressing my commands. They are sinning against me. This isn't a sin against the people that were being conquered. This isn't just a little indiscretion of, of Achan. This is a, a deliberate choosing to turn away from the path of the Lord. And one of the ways that I think that's really exposed is the fact that Achan doesn't repent initially. He doesn't come running up when they're first looking for the person. He doesn't see the failure of the military conquest and immediately fess up. He lets this whole process play out until he's isolated and found out before he confesses. It shows that broken relationship. He's not eager to fix things with the Lord or with God's people. And I think that's part of the reason, ultimately, we see that he realizes the wrath of God. He experiences judgment. And and one of the things we see in the book of Joshua, and it's sometimes hard for us to take in, and it's painful, but essentially what we see in the book of Joshua is the ultimate eternal judgment being brought forward and experienced in the moment. Achan has a broken relationship with the Lord. He isn't experiencing God's salvation. And while normally a person still gets to live out their natural life and then they experience God's judgment, in these cases with the Canaanites and with people like Achan, God demonstrates that judgment in the moment so that all the people can see it and respond. So they don't experience it. Take a look at verses 22 to 26. It says, So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent. And behold, it was hidden in his tent, that's Achan's tent, with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord. They took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold, and his sons and daughters, and his oxen and his donkeys and his sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. We struggle with this. But if we think about it in terms of a manifestation of what's ultimately going to happen because Achan has that broken relationship with the Lord, I think it starts to make more sense. It starts to make more sense because we understand this is, a, this is ultimately what's going to happen to anyone who has a broken relationship with the Lord. God's judgment is going to come. And the key thing is, Achan isn't seeking out God's forgiveness. Achan isn't saying, I want a corrected relationship with the Lord. He's saying, no, I want to hold on to this, this stuff. I like this sin. And I don't think anyone's going to notice. I don't think God's going to notice. I don't think the other people are going to notice. It's all going to be okay. And it's going to be exactly how I want it. Joshua says, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And when we allow sin to corrode us, that trouble comes upon us too. But we're challenged not to do that. And, and one of the most picturesque things that I love, one of the commentators that, that writes on this passage brought this beautiful comparison. I find it so striking between Achan and Rahab. Rahab, who, who's part of the people of Jericho, who's been devoted to destruction. Like all the people, God's judgment is supposed to come down, and yet she responds to the Israelite spies and seems to show favor 
to God's people. And they offer her refuge. And we might say, well, well, Achan was offering these possessions refuge. Well, he was trying to enrich himself. There doesn't seem to be any gain to offering Rahab that. And, and we see there the heart of God and his forgiveness and his willingness to bring people in. Because while Achan receives destruction, he receives the lack of forgiveness. What does Rahab experience? She experiences getting to be a part of God's people. She experiences actually being in the line of the Messiah. She's going to be a great, 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 many times removed grandparent of King David and ultimately of Jesus. What's the difference? She was part of those things devoted to destruction. And she seeks to grab on to, to God's people and his promises. And God allows her into that people. He offers her forgiveness. Achan had everything going for him. He was part of that people. He was Everything was as you would hope it would be. And, and yet, what does he do? He runs and clings to the things devoted to destruction. He turns the opposite direction of Rahab and runs towards the destruction rather than away from it. And when we grasp onto sin and when we charge after it rather than after the promise of God, that's what we're doing as well. Why corporate punishments? Because, because the sin is like pollen, corrupting. The people of God, yes, Achan is the one that that does it, but his family, they seem to surely know about it, and yet they turn the other way. Maybe some of the other people of Israel also knew about it, but they ignore it. Certainly, as we saw, it seems like Joshua is even maybe not leaning quite as much on the Lord in this moment. And so we see judgment come on the people of God. And that happens at times. But may we as the people of God have the value and, and, and cling to the purity of God's church, desire to see that church be pleasing to him so that instead things might not only be pleasing to him, but might be refreshing to the world around us. May we be like Rahab who sees the opportunity for forgiveness and runs towards it. She doesn't know if the, the people of Israel are going to accept her. She runs towards it because she trusts in God. May we be like that. Achan doesn't run towards the opportunity for forgiveness. He maybe is partially fearful, partially wanting to hold on to his greed. There could be a whole mix of things, often like in our own hearts. But in that, he misses out on a chance for restoration. He only comes and repents before God, after God isolates him out for judgment. You see, the people of God are supposed to be like a fresh rain. We're, we're on a, a rainy season, it seems like here, but certainly today we have rainstorms going through the area. And as it does, one of the things that if you're an allergy sufferer that, that's really nice about rain is it washes away some of the pollen. And if you have you have pollen on your windshield and, and it's just all icky, you look at that and it washes away off your car. It washes away off of everything. God's people should be like rain, raining down God's love, raining down the truth about who God is so that we're refreshing the world. We're cleaning the world and seeing it made new. Not because of us, but because of our God whom we are to carry the news up to the world. But when we hold on to that sin like Achan, we, we in some sense are bringing judgment to the world because we're not doing what we're supposed to do. Now God can overcome our sin and he does all the time. And yet how much better it is when we choose instead to be rain and we let go of that sin and, and we run towards our God because he is faithful and just to forgive us 
our sins. May that be our challenge today. Are we being rescued from our sin? Are we running into it? Because that's the problem for Achan. If you trust in Jesus and you have for years, we still cling to sin more often than we'd like to admit. But maybe we run from it. And if you've never trusted in Jesus, may you run to him now, knowing that, yes, God is a God who can bring down judgment and wrath, but God is a God who is loving and forgiving. As you run to him, he'll offer that cleansing rain to you to wash off the pollen of sin. Would you pray with me, please? Father, so often we are those who who spread the pollen of sin rather than the cleansing of rain, of, of clean water. But may we be different May we trust in your forgiveness. May we not be like Achan who hold on to our sins until they're discovered and and we receive judgment. But may we run towards you and toss them down before you and let you cleanse us in the first moment that we're aware. Would you convict our hearts of the places where we hide sin in them that we might be made clean? And may we trust in your grace every single day. We pray in Jesus' name. Well, thank you for being here tonight. If it's been an encouragement to you, would you give us a like or a share? You can help get the word out about our God that we're, we're exploring his word and exploring who he is. And, and next week, we're going to be continuing this series, Bad Attitudes, by looking at a particular king, Hezekiah, and his overly confident comfort in his present security. And it challenges us to think, what does it look like to be those who instead are never satisfied with the status quo? but are always seeking what God is doing next. That's a challenge for us. And one of the ways that we can do that in this world right now is to serve our world and to show Jesus's love for the world. There's practical ways we can do that. And one of those is you can participate in our can drive that we're doing right now. And we're going to be collecting canned goods next Sunday at church. And I encourage you to come at 5.30 to our service and bring a canned good or two or three or however many you feel like. And we'll be handing those over to our mail carrier who's going to take them to a local food pantry and help people in need in our community. What a blessing you can be by doing that. We will be continuing speaking of being a blessing. We're going to continue our series Blessed on Sunday as well, and I hope to see you for that. And I hope if there's any way I can be praying for you this week that you'll shoot me an email at the email address on screen or leave a comment in the comments below. It is always a joy to get to share in God's word with you, including today. Hope you have a blessed day. I'll see you again very soon.